following leadership, motivational speakers on social media, all those types of things. So mm -hmm. training and workshops are quite valuable, but the, mm -hmm. the value for me is the networking effect of attending those trainings. And you can get mm -hmm. a lot of the information either freely available from things like podcasts or through yep. a, a very small comparative fee of purchasing a book or an audio book. Welcome to the Creating High Performing Teams podcast. Our goal is to be the most actionable podcast on leadership and management you ever heard. We want you to walk away knowing exactly what you can do to be a better manager every time you listen. I'm your host, Jason Evanish, the CEO of Lighthouse. Welcome to the Creating High Performing Teams podcast. I'm your host, Jason Evanish. And today we are here with an awesome guest. His name is Mike Pretlove. And he is a leader who has been managing teams for over 15 years. And what's really cool about his story, and I'm excited to, to interview him today, is to talk about how he's gone from being a designer to a manager to being in operations, and now he's a founder. And I think this is going to highlight a lot of really cool stuff about how management isn't necessarily a linear path, but it could prepare you in a lot of ways. And we're also going to get super actionable for you today and really give you advice on how making that transition to becoming a manager, how you can build and learn those skills that will set you up for success, regardless of what roles you grow into. So Mike, thanks for joining me today. Hi, Jason. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So the first question I have, you know, I mentioned in the intro for you that you have taken on a number of different roles actually since you kind of took that leap into becoming a manager 15 years ago. So let's, let's wind the clock back. How did you first become a manager? And you know, was this, a, was it a surprise or something that you were asking for and really wanted at the time? Well, as you mentioned at the start, uh, it wasn't a direct path for me and perhaps for some of your listeners, it's not a direct path for them either. So I graduated university with a degree in graphic design. And then I went on to work several entry-level jobs, as you do, working for various companies. And I wasn't particularly happy in any of those companies. However, eventually I did find a company uh, that had a really positive work environment, still doing an entry-level job. Mm -hmm. Shortly after I was hired, I attended a company event. It was actually at a bowling alley. And the uh, event host was explaining some of the rules. And they said, if you walk out onto the lane with alcohol, with beer, uh, we're gonna find you and we're gonna take that fine and donate it to a kid's charity. And while I was sitting there, the CEO of this company, he stood up with a beer in hand, he walked straight out onto the lane, he finished <laughs> the beer and he took out a hundred dollar note and he put it into the donation box. Okay. And I thought, okay, this is a company that I can work for. You know, they've got a good <laughs> environment here. Um, they've got the heart in the right place. Mm -hmm. And so um, because of that event and then uh, becoming committed to that business, mm -hmm. I uh, was willing to go above and beyond. Even though I was doing an entry-level role, I would do whatever it took to deliver. And um, as a result, I sort of stood out as someone who was a high performer. Um, mm -hmm. It was definitely something I was targeting. It was mm -hmm. a company that I did want to grow with. Mm -hmm. And so I was asking for it, but I felt it was important to conduct myself in a way that I would have the support of the team that I was working with mm -hmm. in particular, because some of the people I was working with were more senior to me. They'd been with the company mm -hmm. longer. They were older than me. So I conducted myself in a way that would 
identify me as a potential leader in future. Um, I think it's important to point out that if your in workplace environment is not supportive, if it is toxic, it's probably not ideal to position yourself or go above and beyond because you open yourself up to be exploited. Mm -hmm. uh, so make sure that you have a supportive environment and somewhere you can see growing in mm -hmm. and then do whatever it takes to position yourself with the support of your team. And I think the best way of thinking about it is uh, if they were asked who should take over management of the team, would they suggest you? Uh, and that is exactly what happened. My manager resigned from the business to do his own thing. And yeah. without much formality, they promoted me into a team leader role. Uh, so mm -hmm. I was responsible then for managing a team of designers. Mostly that's a production-based management role, just ensuring everything's produced to a high standard within deadlines. And then yeah. after that, um, the doors opened to other roles because management skills transfer from uh, one sort of environment to another. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, I think there's a couple of really important things that you mentioned that are worth calling out. Uh, first and foremost is choosing the right company first. I think when you become a leader, the pressures are different. And so certainly getting promoted inside a company that isn't a good environment, even if you get the promotion, it's going to be a much more painful experience. And it's harder for you to leave at that point than it is as an individual contributor. So I think that's really good advice that you should be mindful of the kind of company you work in if you do aspire to, to leadership. And then I think equally important is having the support of your peers to become a manager is huge. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we get emails at Lighthouse of people being like, hey, I'm a new manager and it's clear that somebody else on the team really wanted the job and now they're undermining me. That makes your job, especially as a first-time manager, where you're just not going to be perfect. It makes it so much harder when you don't have that support of your peers versus if you do have that support, as you mentioned, it sounds like it was a pretty smooth transition and it was uh, it was easy to be identified for. So you didn't have to like fight really, really hard to get it. It became, it became almost a natural thing. Yes. I do think you raise a valid point there. And every new manager should anticipate that someone in their team may resent them for their promotion or um, may disagree with the company's decision about that promotion. However, mm -hmm. with effective communication uh, and a lot of existing tools and skill sets, you can overcome that quickly and mm -hmm. win that person over to your side. Yeah. Did you did you experience any of that at this company? Not with this specific example, but certainly later, yes. Um, okay. as, and I think that as your listeners go through their management journey, they will be promoted into roles uh, or potentially come in from another company, you know, you could be mm -hmm. an external promotion and there will be that resentment from within the teams of people who were either expecting to be given that role themselves, or maybe they just disagree with your techniques and methodologies. Mm -hmm. How would you recommend, so somebody's coming in, uh, you know, the, this episode's going to run in mid January. So a lot of people are probably starting new jobs whether it be a promotion right after performance reviews or they start, they literally interviewed and started a job at a new company. So a lot of people may be coming into this scenario. So I'm curious, like what are, what are maybe some early in the process things? Like I understand some parts of it might take time, but like what are things you should do in your first, first day, first week, first month, if you recognize pretty quickly that, Ooh, that person 
seems like there's a little resentment there. What can you do to start to cool that resentment and put you on a track to maybe heal that over time? Yeah, I think that's the correct approach to cooling the resentment. Coming to terms with the fact that perhaps that resentment may never go away is important Mm -hmm. and building some sort of relationship with the individual, showing perhaps that you are human, you have empathy for them. Uh, And then learning a bit about them. If you can Mm -hmm. find something that you share in common, that Mm -hmm. goes a long way to breaking down those barriers and they'll see you as a person and they'll identify you as an individual instead of uh, just creating a label for you which makes it very easy for them not to ever form a bond or any connection with you. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. That's great advice. So uh, as we mentioned in your introduction, you talked about how you've been a manager in a few different scenarios. So so can you tell us a little bit, how did you go from a, a manager of designers who used to be your peers and were at like a company whose culture you really loved to you've also done some things in operations? So I'm curious, how did that transition come about? Because I think most people, mis- uh, a lot of people may mistakenly think that management's a very linear path. You know, you become a manager, then a director, and then a VP, and then maybe a C-level person, but it's always very narrow. So how did you actually open up this opportunity to be like, get into operations and do some other things? Yeah, so one of the interesting things is that uh, when going from this non-linear path is that potentially someone is taking a bit of a gamble with you. And uh, you are trying to convince the hiring manager or the uh, HR person that the skills that you've developed in one area can be transferred to another area. And Mm -hmm. often that does allow you to jump that linear path. So having a bit of confidence in your own skills and being able to demonstrate, I've developed these skills in this area and this is how I could apply them to another area. That's certainly what worked for me. Um, Mm -hmm. When the specific jump where I went from managing a um, production team to operations, I do remember that I had to explain how my skills were transferable. And I was interviewed against people who, uh, for example, were the assistant in that role. And they would be expecting to be promoted to the the operations manager. If you're the assistant operations manager, that's a natural career progression. So for for business to take a, a, not a gamble, but an educated, Uh, risk by bringing in someone else and for someone who is considering some sort of uh, non-linear path or Mm -hmm. wants to do that sort of change one of the great things you can bring up is how you can bring in external ideas and Mm -hmm. if you are promoting from within if you are a natural line of progression the thinking that is currently operating in that uh, business unit is probably going to continue so by bringing in an external Uh, manager or someone from another team or another department or another company can bring in new ideas, fresh ideas. And it's Mm -hmm. likely that the company is looking for something like that. Nice. So with this job, when you moved into operations, was this a lateral move within your company where you were like, Hey, I'm already running this production team. I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, throw my hat in the ring for the operations role. Or was this literally going to a new company to potentially do it? It was the same business, but it was a okay. fairly significant promotion in terms of responsibilities, the size of the team, and mm-hmm. the impact that I could have on changing and the continuous improvement of the overall company. Mm-hmm. And how did you how did you know you wanted to do that? I mean, I imagine that even if you had felt like you mastered your existing role, it's it's still a big leap to say. I think I want to do that. I'm going to pursue it hard and I'm going to go above and beyond to 
try and get it even though I'm competing against people who have already done that specific job before. So like, how did you know you would want that role potentially? Absolutely. Yeah. Very good question. And I think a lot of people may be asking themselves similar sort of questions. It is a risk to yourself. If you are comfortable in your current role to go out and try something that is uh, more advanced or perhaps you feel beyond your reach, it is a big risk and you have the potential to fail, but you need to take those risks. And for me, what it represented was the next uh, step in improving my skills and being exposed to more sorts of ideas, concepts, and things that could help me in future as well. So to take a, a risk in yourself and then really try is very, very worthwhile because the worst that can happen is you, you say no and perhaps you learn something through the process. For me, when I started as a graphic designer, if there's anyone who's ever worked in sort of creative before, they will understand that it's highly competitive. There's always something new and there's new graduates coming along and um, yeah. lots of challenges with that. And I just found myself very proficient in leading teams and mm -hmm. working with people and getting people to look to improve things and realize the benefits of those improvements. So it did mm -hmm. feel like the right step to take at that point to move away mm -hmm. from being the individual contributor that you might be when you graduate as a designer or a software engineer or something like that into a more management role, which is involved with the direction of the organization, the direction of the individual teams that fall within that organization and helping them make everything better and continuously improve. Mm -hmm. Totally. And so you're a founder now, you're starting your own SaaS company. And so I'm, I'm curious, how have your experiences before this uh, prepared you for it? And, and what kind of made you think that that was the next step for you? Because again, you've taken kind of these different moves showing that like becoming a leader is not necessarily a linear path. There's actually opens up a variety of options. And so I'm curious how being a founder now, you feel like some of the things you've done in the past have, have, have led you to this point and prepared you for it. Absolutely. So becoming a founder is a jack of all trades. You need to understand the finances of a business, the production, the all the marketing, all sorts of components of a business. And mm -hmm. leadership in a good work environment should not be siloed. And you should be interacting right. with the various other departments within an organization. Assuming that you, uh, you are progressing through a larger organization you will be exposed to those sorts of things. And the more senior you get, the more experience you get. So although the stereotype is the startup is founded by university students, maybe not even graduates, they drop out of university, start a company, having a decade or so of experience running companies for other people, or at least running divisions or teams does expose you to all those sorts of things. And it can help you avoid mm -hmm. some traps uh, that you may face if you hadn't otherwise had that experience. And I think totally all founders have stories about the mistakes they've made and, uh, their successes. And most of those mistakes, if you're not starting from a position of experience will be due to that lack of experience. And you can potentially avoid that by having your own career and then choosing to step out. You also get the benefit of a very diverse network that potentially you've built up until that stage and potentially mm -hmm. some sort of capital behind you to bootstrap it 
because founding a company requires money and capital. And uh, the more capital you have to run your own company, the less you have to bring in external investors and lose control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And certainly I've seen that in my career as well. You know, I started as a product manager and that's a very jack of all trades role as well. And getting into getting into founding companies after that and like the management that comes with that, it's uh, it's helpful to understand and have empathy for a lot of other roles. In addition to any management experience you have, guess what? Like you can't, you're not going, you're not going to be a team of two for very long if you have a good idea. Mm -hmm. And so as you grow, you have more. Uh, more management responsibilities than like doing responsibilities, though it's important to know how to do a few things early on. Mm -hmm. um, what was the biggest surprise for you once you had that first role of being a manager? You know, again, winding that clock back to when you got started. What was what was surprising about suddenly you're not doing IC work now you're a manager? So one of the biggest surprises for me was the importance of effective communication, mm -hmm. and when it comes to communication if the listener would think about some of the bad bosses they've had in the past or bad leaders they've had in the past, mm -hmm. were they necessarily a bad leader or were they a poor communicator? Uh, were they unable to express their ideas in a constructive way? Were they unable to communicate really important things in a constructive way? Did they lack empathy for how they treated you? They were too focused on their own personal situation. So, mm -hmm. A lot of leadership is about removing roadblocks, yes. change management, those sorts of things. And the communication is so critical and it's said again and again and again. And that's why you can do workshops and things like that on communication. So yeah. to come to that realization that the bad bosses or the poor leaders that I had in the past were not necessarily bad people and they weren't deliberately being poor leaders. It's potentially that quite a lot of it came down to very poor communication. So mm -hmm. what surprised me was the things that I knew were not necessarily things that the team knew and overcoming that assumption and being so mindful that that assumption always exists on your behalf. Mm -hmm. You have those biases that you think that everyone understands. This is the situation of the business. This is the situation of the team um the team does not know these things and that's a very very important part to realize very quickly when you become a new manager can you maybe share a story maybe that uh comes to mind kind of related to that lesson if you need to anonymize people that's fine but would love to hear a story of kind of maybe when you had some of that uh epiphany or one of those moments where Either you learned from the wrong example from one of your past bosses or you learned on essentially the wonderful learn by skinning your knees of being a manager. Uh, can you maybe share a story like that that maybe stands out to you that helps you learn that important communication lesson? So one example early on was the team I was responsible for did not have a, any sort of formal uh, production tracking process. They weren't in control mm -hmm. of the inventory. Yeah. And each designer believed rightly that they were contributing at a mm -hmm. appropriate amount. And of course, everyone has different levels of productivity. That's natural uh, in a sort of creative work or, or any sort of production work. Mm -hmm. I felt otherwise. And so I investigated, built some reporting and built a process to understand exactly how much work was coming in, how much work was going out to what standard 
than what quality it was and what level each individual was contributing to it. I didn't include those people in this process of building this. I didn't explain why I was doing it. I didn't do it well enough. And so that's sort of where the epiphany came from because when I tried to implement it, there was uncertainty, there was uh, distrust of it. Um, they questioned, are you doing this to retrench us? Why are you doing this? That sort of thing. If I had mm-hmm. communicated effectively, effectively from the start, I believe that that process would have been a lot smoother. Potentially the team would have been much more supportive and, and possibly even helped implement it and supported it long-term. And how did you do damage control after the fact then? Because I think sometimes as managers, we, we're not perfect. And so we have, to, we have to clean up messes of our own uh, creation. So I'm kind of curious, how did you, how did you fix that? Because I, I understand doing better next time, but you know, a lot of times as a manager, you have to fix this time first. Yes, and ultimately doing better next time isn't good enough for someone that you're managing. You need Correct. to, you, it is okay to admit that you made a mistake. I think mm-hmm. it's very humbling in front of a team if you can admit that you made a mistake and they are mm-hmm. very forgiving and that can help uh, make a bond as well when you say, I should have included yeah. you, I didn't. Yep. Yeah, I love this quote from, uh, there's, a, there's a leader, uh, kind of a leadership author here in the US. His name is John C. Maxwell. And so he has a bunch of different books. Um, if you're Christian, you'll love his stuff. If you're atheist, you may not be as into him. But he has some really good fundamental truths that he works in that I think applies to anybody. And so one of the things he talks about is your team knows when you make a mistake. And so you might as well own up to it because if you do, they're often quick to forgive. If they don't, they're very, very slow to forget. And so it can be really important to just recognize that like when there, when there's egg on your face, you need to, like you need to admit it, wipe it off and and move forward together but if you don't you can be in a lot of you can be in a lot of trouble and and basically it builds up resentment and you can get away with a little bit of that but if it builds up over time it certainly becomes a problem so i I love that you highlighted that importance of not just recognizing there was a mistake but realizing you kind of needed to rectify it not just do better next time Cool. So, you know, thinking back to your journey as a manager, especially because you became a manager and you've kind of stayed on that path. So how did you learn to be a good manager? What, what kinds of ways did you learn? What did you seek out? So having a good positive work environment is the, the catalyst for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. To become a, a good leader, I looked internally and externally, but I found externally was where the real influence came from. So mm-hmm. there are many books on leadership and management that are written, podcasts, uh, mm-hmm. audio books, of course. Uh, and then there's also the formal education and training. You can go to workshops. Mm-hmm. Then I looked for ways to actually implement this and mm-hmm. make it into a process. So like applications that can help with on your phone, automating these processes or at least reminding and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And Um, One thing I really found that worked really, really well for me was on the commute to work Mm -hmm. or if I was exercising before work to Mm -hmm. listen to a podcast or listen to an audio book on a relevant leadership subject. And that sort of put me in the mindset of a leadership before I arrived at work. So I was arriving at work with the mindset, but also self-educating as I went. 
That's great. Yeah, I know for myself, uh, having lived in major U.S. cities for most of my career, the subway and the bus is is a part of life. And so one of the things I started doing was just carrying a book with me. And so I would always I'd always be on on the bus or the subway just with a book. You know, I was in New York City for a minute. You know, uh, that book was a little bit of extra personal space, and the average person with it wedged against my chest reading a book, but. That habit, like you said, I love it as a brain warm up. I'm amazed how much that helped just like wake you up. In addition to the fact that like whatever idea, the best idea you heard in your 20, 30 minute commute or however long it is, that idea, like in my experience, like it stays in your head throughout the day. So it makes it very easy and natural to apply what you're learning versus like reading something in a vacuum and not feeling like you know what to do with it the bite-sized chunk you get each day of that podcast, that audio book, or that, like I was reading a book, feels like it was easier to then stick to it, especially if I was reading a book specific to something that was like my biggest challenge at the time. Yeah, it's important to remember though for new managers that uh, large changes, if you make a large change within a team, it can be met with uncertainty from the team, questioning why this is going on. So small changes are good. So just be mindful if you are listening to these inspirational podcasts or audio books or reading a book when you walk in the rest of your team has not done that and they are <laughs> they are walking yeah. into the office or your work environment potentially uh, tired from the night before less enthusiastic about all these amazing ideas that you've had so just be mindful yeah. of that when you're saying hello to them in the morning yeah absolutely i think that's a very good point you want to you want to get a little bit of their buy-in if it is a big change um and you obviously want to provide some context Absolutely. So give them an idea why you think it's a good idea and why you want to make that change right now. Um, and I think obviously on the other side of the spectrum, you don't want to become like the idea of the day person um, where you're just like trying everything and then nothing sticks. What you really want to do is be like, hey, we have this specific challenge right now. I think this will help. Let's apply it. But that may be only like one of a dozen ideas you've heard, read or listened to in the last in the last week or two. So I guess choose wisely and make sure the bigger the change, the more you want to involve your team before actually implementing it. So uh, that's a great habit you had. You had that routine to warm up in the morning. Um, What else did you find was helpful for you specifically to level up as a leader? So part of that is immersing yourself into the leadership ecosystem, subscribing to the podcasts, um, following leadership, motivational speakers on social media, all those types of things. So mm-hmm. training and workshops are quite valuable, but the, mm-hmm. the value for me is the networking effect of attending those trainings. And you can get mm-hmm. a lot of the information either freely available from things like podcasts or through yep. a, a very small comparative fee of purchasing a book or an audio book. Mm-hmm. For me, the, the um, ecosystem, embedding in the ecosystem is what really gives you the day-to-day strength Uh, to fit around your life Mm -hmm. and fit around your lifestyle because then you're in control rather than going off for a weekend leadership workshop, coming back with all those big ideas that you just talked about to an unenthusiastic team. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you talk about embedding yourself, does that mean like, you know, you're based in Australia, does that mean that you have a bunch of people in the same city as you that you meet to talk about leadership? Are you in like are these like Slack or other online groups? Like what exactly do you mean that you're you're embedded and like you're kind of there on a regular basis? Like what what exactly is that? Yeah, so that would be different for different people, whether that's sure. 
uh, some sort of professional organization, uh, potentially even pursuing further education, doing a master's mm -hmm. or MBA or something like that will introduce you to like-minded people who are also passionate about leadership. It can be through social media. Uh, mm -hmm. There are groups on LinkedIn and things like that that you can follow, but also having a mentor a leadership mentor or trying to find someone else who's in a similar situation or maybe has gone through a similar mm -hmm. sort of experience as you and just forming a professional relationship with that person and catching up with them on a regular basis. So uh, you, you listed a bunch of things there. I'm curious, which of those has worked the best for you or which ones have you leveraged the most over the years as a leader? So I really think that Unfortunately, at the moment with the pandemic and restrictions on yeah. travel is very difficult, but forming those connections in person is really, really mm -hmm. important as a leader. If you can mm -hmm. attend or sign up to any sort of professional group, you'll mm -hmm. be around like-minded people who are going to give you recommendations. They'll uh, let you know if they find something, oh, there's a great podcast that maybe you should listen to, or this is a really good audio book that I have, or I read this book mm -hmm. the other day, I thought of you immediately. Those sorts of people are the sort of people who are going to build you up as a leader and mm -hmm. help you find those resources as part of that leader, the leadership ecosystem. Totally. And so for you, you found a number of those in, in, in Australia locally to you, and that's those bonds sound like they were pretty important. Yeah, definitely. And it's really good because you can learn from their experiences and try and avoid as many making as many mistakes that they have made and learn from totally. those mistakes, and they can give you that advice. Yeah. So I'm curious, what, what didn't work as well? Maybe we, what were maybe some things that you tried that didn't work out so well that were like, you know, I did that and it just, it, it was a waste of time and effort. I didn't do that again. What didn't work for me was expecting my management or my leadership to provide this for me. Okay. I felt that this was very much a proactive thing where I had to go out and find it myself. Okay. Many organizations have formal leadership training and some of them are really, really good. Yeah. Generally though, this has to be a, <laughs> generally <laughs> they're not. Uh, the several that I have seen and experienced appear to me more about protecting the organization from managers making bad or illegal decisions <laughs> and yeah, ensuring that the following policy, exactly. Let's not get sued. So mm -hmm. generally the internal ones struggle. There are of mm -hmm. course examples uh, of companies who have fantastic internal leadership programs, but generally that's not yeah. the case. So having an expectation that this would either be handed to me or that my manager would be able to provide this to me, uh, I was incorrect about that. And that is something that comes with maturity and age and as you go through your career. So, uh, you cannot expect it just to be a quality that you're born with. You do actually need to work on this and the influence for that should come externally or you should look externally if you're not getting it internally. Don't just expect it to be given to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think I've seen my share of that. The one, the differentiator I've seen, and you can tell me if you agree with this, but the differentiator I've seen is the companies that have really good leadership training, it usually means the, the CEO or one of the founders of the company is super passionate about it and they actually get hands-on and involved in it. And so that seems to make a big difference in whether it's 
you know, kind of just, uh, you know, hey, we need to go through these like legally obligated trainings versus like there's actually some enthusiasm and effort behind it. I'm curious if you've seen that same pattern or or, you know, especially because you've talked a lot about culture today, like what what maybe managers should be looking for to, to see if like a company they're thinking about joining has actually a useful support system for managers. Yes, and I think that's a really good point to raise the, the top-down influence over the business. And also something to be mindful of as a manager that it's not, you shouldn't be keeping it a secret to yourself, these great management techniques, these great processes, yeah. frameworks, tools, and everything you have, because there's a potential that the people that you're leading today are going to go mm -hmm. on to be the leaders of tomorrow. And if you can instill yes. in them great leadership skills, resources, include them in your ecosystem of leadership, mm -hmm. then that is a top-down approach that will continue to pay dividends in future. If you yeah. are going to stay with that same business, you may advance up the ladder into a C-level mm -hmm. role and have yeah. several high-performing teams underneath you because they have high-performing managers that you have helped develop through those skill sets that weren't formally processed through the business's leadership training programs. It was something that you actually instilled in them, drove that passion, supported them, and fed their interest in becoming good leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. And kind of building on that, what do you think are two or three key skills that managers should learn and master to be effective, especially early in their career? Early in your career, and we've skirted around these throughout this conversation, yeah. For me, the, the three important ones are empathy, mastering empathy, mm -hmm. mastering your ability to deliver feedback, mm -hmm. and then decision-making. Those would be the three things for me. So when talking about empathy, it's often said that people won't remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And so being empathetic, it doesn't mean that you're a pushover. You mm -hmm. can still take a hard line. You still know exactly what needs to be done. But if you're empathetic to the individual that you're speaking to, you may anticipate how they're going to receive the information, how they may react. You'll understand them as a whole person that has many moving parts. They have their personal life and the things that are going on in their personal life, their professional life, their past history with the company, all those sorts mm -hmm. of things. You'll understand that and you'll be able to deliver that information in an effective way. Mm -hmm. And that's the second point is the ability to deliver feedback. Yeah. And delivering feedback is critical to a well-managed team. So mm -hmm. when I started out in professional life 20 years ago, annual reviews were standard. And that yeah. conditioned me to feel that you were supposed to sit down and give someone feedback once a year. Uh, yeah. And then potentially <laughs> they, you know, uh, negative or positive. It's not always, yeah. it, feedback is not a negative thing. It can be a positive thing. And so that mistakenly led me to believe that feedback should be delivered less frequently. Instead, I yeah, think that's that a pitfall. It is a huge pitfall. And um, as an aside, what I found was that the underperformers uh, tend to be expecting positive feedback and the high performers <laughs> expect negative feedback. And that comes <laughs> back to the manager not being good at giving feedback. So the, yeah. the better approach for a new manager is to really practice this uh, mm -hmm. smaller and sooner feedback. And it can be as simple as just, if you're physically with the person um, in the office, you can approach them 
in person, if not in a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I've had a great amount of success with the SBI model, which is situation behavior impact. So mm-hmm. um, for example, uh, the business analyst team require a scope document before they begin work on a project. And mm-hmm. um, I noticed that you're putting in very good, high quality customer feedback. Mm-hmm. And the business analyst has said that because of that feedback, the development team's actually going to deliver this ahead of time. And yep. that means it's going to be under budget, which is really good for your KPIs. So the situation there is the company has a process that requires a scoping document before starting a project. Yes. Uh, the behavior was that you put in a lot of effort to that. And in mm-hmm. particular, there's this one behavior, which was getting high quality customer feedback that you included. Mm-hmm. And the impact is the project runs well, your KPIs are met. The implication would be that the person may receive a bonus because they're meeting their KPIs, whatever it might be. And it's very important when explaining that impact, the impact needs to be for the individual, not necessarily the greater company, or for example, the individual is not going to be particularly motivated if you say, oh, because you did all this great work, the CEO is going to get their bonus. That's not going to motivate the individual you talk about how it affects the individual so mm-hmm. working out a process of, de- of delivering feedback is critical mm-hmm. as a new manager uh, and if you be- if you make it a regular thing when you do have to deliver that negative feedback it is taken constructively by the individual mm-hmm. because feedback is positive and negative and yes. they're going to take it as constructive because you've identified this behavior has this impact and they say, okay, I got it. And then the last thing is the decision-making. How you arrive at a decision as a leader is really, really important. Some (laughs) some of the strong, strongest leaders I know are very good at this specifically. And one of the things they do is they're very inclusive. They don't make decisions in a silo. They are communicating with whoever they should to make that decision, whether that be within another department, another team, or whether that's just simply people within their team before they make a decision. And mm-hmm. once they reach that decision, they communicate it effectively. Um, and remembering, of course, company-wide emails, uh, different people receive information differently, different people have yeah. different preferences for communication. And so sending out an email blast is not necessarily effective communication, even if it is very detailed. Yeah. They communicated effectively uh, and then how they stand by that decision and support the people who help them reach that decision is critical. So I think those are the three really important things for a new manager, developing the empathy, developing a process and sticking to delivering feedback and then mm-hmm. practicing their decision-making as an inclusive um, thing. Yeah, those are, those are really good. I think in particular feedback stands out because people need to know where they stand and there's nothing worse than getting to performance review time and getting a big surprise. Like, yeah. as the saying goes, there should be no surprises at review time. People should already know where they stand. And in particular, when you talk about the SBI model, I like that that follows the pattern of, you know, the feedback is about a behavior. It's not them. It's not, hey, Mike, you're terrible. It's, hey, Mike, this thing needs to improve that you happen to do. And so it, it makes it so it's less likely to kind of affect their ego and put them defensive and more on like, hey, let's just work together on correcting this. And Absolutely. here's why the, the impact. 
Um, also, just a quick plug, our episode three is all about how to give feedback as well in a specific step-by-step process. So if you're listening to this episode and you want to work, work backwards, some of our previous ones, uh, episode three is specifically about feedback and teaches you another three-step process. It's a little bit different than SBI, but can also help you. And you've touched on a really good point there where I would even ask new managers to eliminate the word attitude from their vocabulary. Take that out <laughs> because people can argue attitude. But when you describe yeah. a particular behavior, it's something that happened. Yeah. And, and attitude right. is, is very, very subjective, whereas behavior is objective. Yeah. So try and eliminate that from your vocabulary when giving feedback. Yeah, totally, totally. So I, I, think, I think people can understand how to build empathy. They know that there's a bunch of different ways to build feedback, and we'll include a couple in the, uh, in the show notes as well. But decision-making, like, especially if someone gets thrust into the role of manager early in their career, so they haven't seen as much maybe, how can someone build specifically decision-making skill? How do you get better at that other than like, you know, the unfortunate trial by fire of, of, of doing it? Like, are there ways to shortcut that so you don't make as many mistakes on the actual job as a manager? Unfortunately, this part of the decision-making is that the research part is very, very important. And so making sure that you are asking the right questions and asking the right people can be difficult as a new manager, but that's something that you get better at with time. And don't mm-hmm. be afraid to, to ask people because most people will be open and honest with you and say, I'm not the right person to be speaking to about this. You should speak to that person. They'll be able to help you. And that gathering the information is really, really important. And in this process to, as a new manager to make a, a good decision, just be mindful of any biases that you might have and try and overcome those. Uh, bias is mm-hmm. a natural part of humanity and, and we will always have it. But as long as you're yeah. mindful that you may have those biases, it will help you with your decision making. And some of those mm-hmm. biases can come down to uh, not wanting to admit that you're wrong or to appear silly in front of people. Um, it can be chasing good money after uh, bad and, and all that sort of stuff. So. Being aware of that in the decision-making process will help you come to better decisions. And over time, like we touched at at the start, your team understands you will make mistakes. And if you admit to those and if you are humble about those, then they will continue to support you. But your decision-making will improve. And one thing that I think would be really ideal is that once you make that decision, you own that as your decision. If things Mm -hmm. don't necessarily go to plan, don't blame the finance team who gave you some bad information. Don't blame Mm -hmm. the product team for not delivering what they said they would. You made that decision based on the information that you gathered and Mm -hmm. you should stick by that decision in terms of that was ultimately your decision. And next time you know that perhaps you need to do more research into can the product team actually do this? Are there other products or projects that are competing with yours that may make it less likely to deliver should you have changed your decision in future. Absolutely. Those are some really good points. Uh, I always think about in American football, they always talk about the quarterback. It's if the team loses, loses, it's probably the quarterback's fault. And if they win, a good quarterback will give credit to everybody else. And so I think that that's good advice for any leader to you know share in the victory and take responsibility in the loss. I would also add, uh, in particular in decision-making, this is one of those times where like the misconception over what being a leader really means, it can be really damaging. 
So I know a lot of younger people have this horrible idea that the stereotype of the manager is the boss. And in fact, I hate the word boss. I think boss is actually like a good encompassing of what not to do because when you boss people around or you're being bossy, those kinds of things is like pushing everything down on people. But a good leader will recognize that their team can actually help them in the decision-making process. It's ultimately your decision, but your team can help you with blind spots and help you maybe see things a different way that can help you avoid at least some of the worst you know, pot, potholes and pitfalls that could otherwise uh, lead you to a poor decision. So Mike, uh, what did you find was most helpful in your journey as a manager? You know, what are the things that, that were key, you think, to your success over the last 15 years? So as we touched on before, I think one of the key things is finding a positive work environment. And if you're currently in maybe a, a toxic work environment, if you're an individual contributor or you're looking to become a manager, really mm -hmm. seek out that positive work environment in another company if need be. Mm -hmm. Now, Positive work environment, you talked about a few times how culture was really important, especially when you made that first leap into becoming a manager. And so I'm curious, what advice would you have for somebody who is maybe leaving a not so great environment and maybe is interviewing right now and is trying to figure out, like, how do you tell in the interview process if a company has a good work environment? What are maybe the two or three biggest red flags that make you run away or, or the strongest signs that make you go, this clearly is a company I should want to work at? Well, that's a very good question. One of the things I would suggest is finding out why they're hiring, of course, uh, mm -hmm. I, because presumably you're applying for a management role. Why did the previous mm -hmm. manager leave? If yeah. it is a existing team and the manager has been potentially promoted internally or has chosen to leave the business, find out why. And then mm -hmm. ask the recruiter if it's at all possible to talk to the team. Now, not yeah. all companies will allow this and there are various policies and procedures behind this. But if possible, talk to the team. And I also think if they do allow it, that does suggest potentially that it is a positive work environment to allow you to talk to the <laughs> team. Uh, it yeah. is definitely worth as a new manager spending an hour to meet the various people in the team, find out what their day-to-day -day is like, and just get a general sense of the vibe of the team. Mm -hmm. That's great. And so uh, what, what else do you recommend? So you find the positive work environment. What else is important? that have been helpful throughout your journey as a leader? So one of the most important things is to put your theory into practice. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're reading, uh, if you're going into any sort of training, really put it into practice. It's like exercise. You need to continually work on it and need to continually practice it in order to make it second nature and it goes from theory into practice. Uh, they are born leaders, but are they... Mm -hmm good leaders, not necessarily. They have leadership qualities, but a good leader is applying these sorts of things and focusing on the continuous improvement of their leadership skills. That's great. That's great. So how, what are kind of some of the things you found most helpful to actually put those theories into practice? So you, you read something, you hear something, you actually need to build the habit and routine of doing it. So what kinds of things have helped you do that? That's exactly what it is. It's about building the habits mm -hmm. and creating routines to build those habits. So you need to create the routine, which then makes it a habit. And one of the things we touched on before was giving feedback. If you build the routine of giving feedback, small mm -hmm. and sooner feedback to everyone in your team, that will become a habit 
and you won't need to remind yourself all the time to do it. But at the start, you'll need to remind yourself, set reminders, however that might be, using uh, an application, using calendar to give someone some feedback. And then it will become second nature when something happens, another team gives you uh, some feedback about someone in your team, you just walk up to them straight away and just say, using whatever model you like, if you use the SBI model, this is what happened, this is the impact on you, well done, you know. Or alternatively, we just need to change this behavior, otherwise the impact on you as the individual is a negative one. That sort of habit will then become part of your everyday life professionally moving forward. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I'm curious, so uh, the reason we, we actually connected was because you were a Lighthouse customer for a number of years before now you've started your own company. And so I'm, I'm curious maybe how using using like systems or software has maybe helped you as, as a leader in any ways. So Lighthouse is a great example of something that helps guide you through this process. It removes the mental burden of having to remember every single person's spouse, their pet, their children's birthdays, all these things that you need to know about your team. As your team it's grows, that empathy you were talking about. You need help to do this. I think that mm-hmm. humans are social creatures, but there is a limit to how much you can contain information at the front of your brain ready <laughs> to go every day. And so things like Lighthouse can help with that. Also, because it does have the uh, routine, it can build that routine where you connect with someone. And one thing to remember that if you are doing one-on-ones with people in your team uh, and they are effective one-on-ones where you're delivering feedback, you're working through goals and you're forming that connection, building that empathy, this may be the single most important thing to the individual that you're meeting with in their week, month, fortnight, whatever it might be. That may be the single most important thing for them where they feel that they Mm -hmm. can express themselves, where they can get validation for their efforts, where they can seek Mm -hmm. constructive improvements because believe it or not, people do like to know how they can do better. And if that's the case, you really, really do need to make it your priority as well. Are you tired of sending your managers to training that they get nothing out of? Do you find yourself panic checking email and Slack when you're supposed to be listening to that facilitator? We all know we should invest in the growth and development of our leaders, but all day seminars with PowerPoints and stale donuts are not cutting it in 2022. That's why we made Lighthouse Lessons. We've taken training and learning and given it a totally different approach. Instead of spending all day in a seminar, we send your managers actionable bite-sized lessons via email that take 20 minutes to review and give them ways to immediately apply them directly to their teams. We also give you a discussion agenda so you can meet with your managers and replace trust falls and role-playing with actually talking with each other to build bonds, support each other, and talk about real leadership situations at your company. All this is available to you at a fraction of the cost of traditional trainers. So find out for yourself and sign up to learn about our programs managers have called more practical than my MBA on topics including for new managers, for rising senior leaders, mastering remote management, and coaching to drive great performance. Find them all at grouplessons.getlighthouse.com now. So any sort of tool, application, if you prefer to write it in a notebook, however it works for you as an individual, treating Mm -hmm. the one-on-one with that level of respect for the individual will pay off in spades later. 
Yeah. And is, I guess, is, is the one-on-one the place where you typically uh, were giving most of your feedback to the team? Generally, when you're in person, if you're physically in an office, then I feel <laughs> it's better to approach them. And of course, there you need to be mindful of, of how the feedback will be interpreted by the rest of the team. If you're an open plan office and you give someone yeah. some positive feedback, soon, quick, smaller, sooner feedback, then that's yeah. generally a good thing because the team can see that's happening. So they sort of get an understanding of the individual's contribution, what they've done well. It's sort of a reminder that this is good behavior that we like. Mm-hmm. Being mindful of how constructive or negative feedback may be seen by the team and also how the individual receiving that feedback will take that negative feedback in a public setting. How sure. And that's part of the empathy. How would you feel if your boss or your manager told you this particular feedback in front of everyone, would you get defensive? Keep that in mind. So a one-on-one can be a really good system for delivering that feedback, either because of that team dynamic, because it's an open plan office, or because you're simply working remotely, which many people are now. Yeah, that's a very good point. I always like the the line, uh, praise in public and uh, give give feedback in private or, or criticize in private. Um, I think it saves a lot of that face, but I also always want to call out uh, for the introverts. There are definitely people, uh, and I've had some friends explain it to me in, in shocking detail, how there are people out there who get mortified if you like call them out in a large group and say they did something like really awesome. We're not here to play armchair psychologist, but like you should respect that people are different have different approaches for what they're comfortable with. And so, you know, when you talk about learning empathy for your team, one of the things that you might want to do from the very first day is get to know them in a way to say, Hey, how do you like to receive feedback and praise? And you'll find that it may be 50, 50, maybe 60, 40, 70, 30, but find out what people like, because in my experience for every time you're like, great, that person loves public praise. You're also going to have somebody that just like, gets completely uncomfortable and wants to melt away from the situation. And you want to find that out in private, maybe in your one-on-one before you do it in public and you see their face and go, Oh my gosh, they're not reacting how I thought they would. Absolutely. Um, So, so, so you're, you're bringing a really good point and certainly the remote dynamics change it too. And you know, you could possibly uh, not even understand like, if you post some, you know, some great praise for them in Slack, you may not even know uh, that they're mortified on the other side of the screen. Um, or you get back to the office and you just operate the same way you had before. But now there is that public environment in front of everyone. So definitely make sure to get to know, uh, get to know what people prefer because some people have thicker skin than others and some people just prefer different things. So you know, some people won't mind if you give them you know, some pretty tough feedback in front of other people. And a lot of people will really resent that. So, uh, you know, definitely one of the ways that feedback and empathy overlap is to consider both of those. Absolutely. Cool. So this has been an awesome episode, Mike. I, th- I love that we were able to, uh, to connect despite the fact that I'm in America, you're in Australia, big, big time zone differences. So I appreciate you starting your morning off with us. We like to wrap up every episode being as actionable as possible. We want everybody to take their headphones off, take their earbuds out, and know exactly what they can walk into the office, return to their work, and and start doing. So what are like one or two, maybe three things that people can specifically do today that would make them a, a better leader and start to improve their leadership skills, especially if they're new to this game and maybe just started out on a new role? If you're a new leader, I think you're already demonstrating but the fact that you're listening to this podcast is demonstrating that you're on the right path. And so don't forget 
big changes are met with uncertainty from your team. So the things that you should do when you finish listening to this are small but substantial. Firstly, I would recommend get organized and be an organized leader. So find the tools that you need that work for you to be an organized leader. Mm -hmm. Don't be the leader that forgets birthdays. Don't be the leader that can't (laughs) remember that someone's on vacation next week. Be an organized leader. Secondly, exercise your empathy skills. Mm -hmm. Use a tool like we mentioned, like Lighthouse, to build your knowledge about not only their personal life, but also as we talked about their preferences of how to be communicated with. Learn how they like to receive information, learn what works for them, and then really exercise those empathy skills and continually applying the empathy skills. And then finally, build that habit of delivering feedback on a regular basis to build those skills. If you do smaller and sooner feedback, it will not be confronting to your team. If you just start Mm -hmm. saying, hey, you did a good job. This is why I did a good job. Tap them on the shoulder, something like that. That will not confront your team. That will be uh, received positively and just build that habit. Just do it smaller and sooner. And Mm -hmm. that way, it's much easier to deliver that negative and constructive feedback later. Yeah, those are great. So specifically on that last one, though, like what is regular feedback? Just so people know, like is regular once a month? Is it once a week? Is it, is it like every single time you think of something small, send it to them? Like, what do you think is that right frequency just so that we're putting kind of a little bit of a number or a range to that? Sure. So again, it probably depends on the individual. And Mm -hmm. one thing I would caution everyone is make sure it's genuine. So Mm -hmm. if you can provide genuine small feedback to someone once a week, I think that would be fantastic. I think doing it daily it would have to be very, very small feedback and it may come across mm-hmm. as less genuine. Once a week is certainly okay. a good amount. Uh, and then okay. make sure it's not routine and as though on Monday, I will give this person feedback because then when you break that, that pattern, it's yeah. unusual and it will be detected. Yeah. And if you have to give them negative feedback on a Thursday, suddenly there's a lot of panic and concern. So. Keep it varied. Yeah. Weekly feedback, I think most people would appreciate. That's 52, 50 if they're taking vacation. Instances yeah. of feedback from their manager, which indicates that the manager is paying attention to what they're doing, is either supporting or correcting their behaviors. That person has a very, very good un- understanding of where they stand and how they're contributing to the team. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a great conversation, Mike. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope everybody learned some great things that they can apply to their team. I love I love kind of this closing advice of some small steps people can take. I think your challenge for this week is can you give one small piece of feedback to everyone on your team? And uh, Mike, how can people find you? Is there a way they can follow you? Is there any place where maybe you're sharing things that might be interesting to other managers? Well, I have a very unique name, so you can find me on LinkedIn quite easily, M. Pretlove. Okay. And um, if you would like to connect with me, I'm happy to um, build my ecosystem of like-minded leaders. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you for joining us on the Creating High Performing Teams podcast. And uh, if anybody has questions about this episode, you know, please reach out to us and we're, we're happy to help out. But we're excited to see what you all as new managers in particular listening today can do to start to get organized, practice a little more empathy and deliver feedback regularly to your teams. And we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks. There's the stop button.